listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the show. This is the Fret Files Podcast, the Guitar Repair Podcast, the Guitar Workshop Podcast, the Guitar Science Podcast. What, what else can we call it? Man, there is so much background noise. We got the dishwasher going. We got the bird, the birds are tweeting. We got the, the fan in the background. The Probably a couple babies crying. White noise generator to keep that baby asleep. That's really loud in my headphones. Anyhow, my name is Eric Daw. This is the Fret Files podcast. With me, as always, is my lovely and gracious and delightful and humble co-host, my wife, Melissa. He's not actually in the doghouse, everybody. I don't know why he's talking me up so much. And uh, I think we got a a good show for you today. If we don't, then uh, you can send your complaints to... EricDaw.com, go to the contact link, push the contact link, and send your questions and comments and complaints there. I'd, I'd love to get your complaints. I love it. I love complaints. I'm all about your complaints. Now, actually, if you want to participate in the show, that's the way to do it. Go to EricDaw.com, click the contact link, and send your question in there. The other way to do it, of course, is you can... You can call, leave a message, 757-774-8482. Nobody really does that. I don't know why. I mean, I guess you can't really, uh, you know, if you're typing something in, you can edit it, you can look it over, you know, you can really hone it down to what you want to say. If I were to call in, though, I would definitely write a script. And if you're, if you're, leave, well, then it sounds scripted. And if you're leaving a message, you're on the spot. You, you really got to be on, on the ball. It's almost like doing a podcast. Almost like doing a mini podcast. But yeah, call, leave a message. The other, you know, you can text that number too, 757-774-8482. But I'd encourage you to call. It'd be fun to get more calls in the show. Um, so yeah, participate in the show and uh, you will be the envy of all of your friends and neighbors. Because, uh, you know, as as you know, everyone, everyone in, in the world listens to this podcast. Yeah. No, that's not true. But we do have quite a few listeners, and I don't want to say how many, but I sincerely want to thank both of you <laughs> from the bottom of my heart. Yep. No, we've got a few. In fact, one of our listeners heard our news story last month and uh, thought he'd chime in a little bit. Why don't you, why don't, why don't you read uh, what, what, what we got here? Thanks for discussing the WMUK story that discusses my book, Kalamazoo Gals. I'm curious, though, about your assertion that there is no mystery. I presume that you haven't read my book. I point out in Kalamazoo Gals that Julius Belson, Gibson's personal director from the late 1930s until after World War II. Personnel director. Oh, sorry. It's all right. Personal director, too, probably. Uh... And who hired the women about whom I wrote, penned a book in the 1970s entitled The Gibson Story. In that book, Belson wrote that Gibson did not build any musical instruments during World War II. I was granted access to Gibson's shipping ledgers, though Gibson has since threatened me with litigation for accessing those materials, and documented Gibson's production of musical instruments during the war. I also tracked down and interviewed a dozen of the women depicted in in Gibson's 1944 workforce, who for the first time revealed that they built guitars. Sound sounded like and still sounds like a mystery to me. John Thomas, author of Kalamazoo Gals. 
Thanks, John, and thanks for listening. You know, I'm surprised that he that he obviously John doesn't listen to the show. Somebody hipped him to the fact that hey, some uh, hillbilly podcast about guitar repair uh, mentioned you. Yeah, you might want to check it out. Anyway, here was my reply to John. I said. The only curious part is Gibson's denial. Guitar collectors have long known about wartime Gibsons. I don't think Gibson still actively denies that they made guitars during the war, but seriously, I don't think they care. They want people to buy new Gibsons, period. That's all they care about. Have you found any source after the 70s where Gibson denies that they made guitars during the war? Anyway, thanks for the response. Sorry if I was a little harsh in the podcast. And I think I was a little harsh. I... I seem to remember calling everyone involved in the story insane. Projection? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, I didn't mean, you know, to, to like insane, insane. Yeah. I just mean that it's an insane story in the sense that... They Can you hear me? Oh, we're going to have to edit that together. I knocked the mixing board off the coffee table. Where were we? Oh, I was calling everyone insane. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the only the thing I meant by that was that it it's a little bit crazy to insist that uh, nobody knows that Gibson made guitars during the war. I, 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 anyway, let, he, he, here's his response. Eric. <clears throat> oh, I mostly, I agree, mostly. As for your claim that guitar collectors have always known about war wartime Gibsons, consider this from Tom Wheeler's 1990 American Guitars, HarperCollins, New York, 1990, page 103. You can tell this guy is the legit author. Yeah. He, he cites his sources. Well, he wrote a book and yeah. everything. Gibson guitar production effectively ceased from 1942 to 1945. Do you contend that Tom Wheeler was an outlier and that Nearly everyone else believed that he was wrong on this issue. Anyway, no big deal. There is certainly no disputing that I discovered that women, with a little help from the few men still in the factory, built the World War II guitars. And the Kalamazoo gals beat goes on. NPR will record another story about my book next week. A play based on the book opens mid-June at the Activate Michigan Festival of Plays. And just a little plug there. Yeah. Thanks again for covering the NPR news story about my book. If you want to cover the book itself and delve a little deeper, just let me know. John Thomas, author of Kalamazoo Gals. And my response, well, Thomas Wheeler and Julius Belson were certainly wrong, weren't they? Production is said to have slowed significantly during the war, but not ceased entirely. I've been hearing about your book for years. Kudos to you for your discoveries and your continued success. As far as the president, present day Gibson Company goes, the reigns and philosophies have changed so dramatically from the era that your book covers. I would be surprised if they ever extend any kind of an olive branch to you, regardless of their reasons for reneging on their partnership to begin with. So there you have it. A follow up from our from our news story last month. Yeah. Well, thanks, John Thomas. Yeah, you know, and I, again, you know, he's citing a few books from 30 and 40 years ago. I guess what I should have said is that everyone in the last 30 years agrees that Gibson made guitars during the war. Uh, let's maybe not say always. I don't know. Whatever. Did, we're... Dancing on the head of a pin yeah. now. But, you know, I can find books. I mean, if you look in Grun's, George Grun's book about uh, about vintage guitars, I think that was printed in the, uh, somewhere around 1990. And, and uh, it documents all the wartime Gibsons. Here's the factory order numbers. Here's the years they were made. Here's the, here's the details on them. I mean, it, I, guitar collectors have known for... At least 30 years that well, Gibson made guitars during the war. So, If, if you own a wartime Gibson, you kind of know that they made Gibsons I during would, the war, I would right? say so. So, you know, depending on how many guitars but it, they sold. It looks like a fascinating book, and I'd like to read it. Uh, you know, the have you seen the picture of all the women standing in front of the yeah. factory? It's pretty cool. Yeah, it looks cool. It's cool. I wish my grandma made guitars. Yeah. But she does make good spaghetti. Yes, she and does. That's almost as good. That's I, yeah. 
Well, let's get right into the questions, shall we? We get Eric and Melissa, the opening theme from the podcast is really great. I practice the bass line by running my computer into the stereo and playing along. Is the entire song available anywhere? Who is the artist? Thanks. Thanks for submitting a question. That's just some random song I stole off the internet. I don't know. I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> no, that's me on guitar. I uh, That's a band that I was in for a while called The Satellite 4, now defunct. We used to be funky. They were funky, yeah. Now we're defunct. And uh, uh, I don't remember the name of the song. I emailed this guy and told him what it was. Do you remember? I don't even know. Uh, I honestly don't know. Uh, I can't think of what the opening song is. It's one of the ones, it's it's the one of the ones that Charles Van Zant sings on. Can you hum it? No, I cannot. <laughs> uh, I think it's called She's So Sweet. Oh. Off of the Satellite Fours album entitled uh, Street Food. Well, and if you go to ericdodd.com, there's a link to your music, right? I don't think there is anymore. There might be. I don't oh. know. That well, website is so old that it's probably got a link to... Google Satellite Four. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But thanks for noticing and thanks for liking it. It's the, uh, That was me on the guitar. Cool. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, hi, Eric and Melissa. Regarding my old Gibson J50 on Podcast 22, I agree that rebuilding the guitar is a pretty silly idea. It's just something that occurred to me in the light of the fad for torrified or pre-broken-in wood used by some luthiers. As writing you, after writing you before, I tried an idea I had to make the guitar sound a little better without destroying it. I bought a Tusk replacement saddle. I removed the original wood saddle and screws and fabricated a subsaddle of hard maple to get to which I glued the Tusk replacement. I then sanded the maple to fit snugly in the bridge slot and sanded the bottom of the new saddle assembly to adjust the string height and make sure the wood-to-wood contact was good. For years, I used phosphor bronze strings, but I tried plain bronze wound strings and tried those yellow Clayton picks that are sort of scratchy feeling. Sure enough, the guitar is a bit louder, and the bronze wound strings in the toothy pick yield a snappier, more trembly tone. Thank you for reading and responding to my questions. Very best to you and your family. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so he he had one of those adjustable bridge J50s. We talked about it on the last episode. And, uh, yeah, sounds like he replaced the saddle and got a good tone out of it, so that's cool. Sweet. Yeah. 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 Remember last episode we were talking about whether it would be a good idea to take that guitar apart and build a different guitar out of it? Yep. Or something? I don't know. Just, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm glad. You know, that's a pretty common thing for people to do on you know, 60s and 70s Gibsons with those adjustable saddles because uh, they really do rob the tone. I I don't know what Gibson was thinking when they did those. Some of those have uh, two pneumatic bridges on them. They just have a giant notch cut in the bridge and they have a two pneumatic bridge in there. Really, Really a weird deal. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking. Anyway, yeah, great. Thanks for the follow up. Hey, love the podcast. You should do an Ask Me Anything on Reddit. Might be fun. Cheers, Robin. Thanks for thanks for uh, the uh, suggestion, Robin. I, I have no idea what Reddit is. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I know it's a website. Is it like a forum? It maybe. Why don't we why don't you just ask me anything on the podcast? <laughs> I think that'd probably be uh, better for everybody involved, but no, I'm, you know, I'm poking fun, but I I you know, don't take it personally. I'm just being silly. Uh, thanks for the suggestion. I'll look at Reddit. I have no idea what it is. I'll, I'll look at it. Hello, Eric. I recently bought an older set of Seymour Duncan pickups. A cool rails, a duck bucker. Don't say that one wrong. And hot rails. The cool rails and the duck bucker only have three wires. <laughs> Red, white, I and never, bare. I never thought I would hear you say the word duck bucker. <laughs> I mean, I never thought I'd hear you say that. Like if somebody said, "Give, I'll give you a million dollars if you can, if you can come up with a word that Melissa will never say," 
I feel like Doc Bucker would have been a pretty safe choice. Now you said it twice. Well, you just, you handed me the paper and told me to read it, so. I guess that's true. Here I am. I didn't write the questions. Well, Tom. I'm sorry, I've interrupted Tom's question. Yeah. Please continue. The Cool Rails and the Duck Bucker only have three wires, red, white, and bare. All the wiring diagrams I can find show four wire models. Please help, Tom. Yeah, Tom, um, you know, the, the, the bear, so you've got, okay, so you've got old Seymour Duncans that have red, white, and bear. The bear is going to be your ground. That's always going to be your ground. Anytime you have a pickup with a bear. They live underground, too. That's, the <laughs> bears live underground? Yeah, they live uh, in caves. Okay. Uh, that's always going to be your ground, the bear wire. The red and the white is going to be your your positive and negative. I mean, it's pretty simple. I I think that um, uh, this is before they were doing the four conductor wire, maybe, or I don't know why this. I don't know why those older models have that. But like the red is your hot, the white is your negative, and the bear is your ground. So the so the white and the bear will both go to ground, basically, and then the red will go to to either your the hot lug of your volume pot or to your switch, depending on how your guitar is wired. But, um, yeah, disregard those schematics that show four wires. That's, uh, that's so that you can, you know, when you've got four wires coming out of a humbucking pickup, you can do all kinds of things to it. You can coil tap, you can, you can, uh, uh, do out of phase sounds. You can do all kinds of thing, but if you've basically, you've got, a two-wire pickup with an extra ground. So think of it that way. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Tom. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Tom. Hi, Eric. I have a run-of-the-mill modern Martin D28. Decent guitar. Overpriced and overrated. Jeez. But what are you going to do? Why did you buy it? Yeah. <laughs> Someday I'll own a vintage one, but I'll still complain about the price. <laughs> I like this guy. Anyway, I want to put a pickup in it, and I'm feeling overwhelmed by all of the options and varying recommendations I've been getting. What acoustic pickup system would you recommend for simplicity and tone? I don't want any of that side-mounted bells and whistles and knobs and notch filters and built-in tuners. I hear you. I just want a pickup and a jack. Maybe a sound hole-mounted volume control if it's not too intrusive. What would you do? Thanks for the show, Jim in Montana. Oh, from Montana. No wonder I like him. Jim, thanks for the colorful question. Uh, yeah, there are a few different pickups that I recommend. Um, my favorite one recently is uh, from a company down in Oregon, and uh, it would be the K&K pickup. That's a nice pickup. There's three little... Um, round little contacts that glue onto your bridge plate. I guess you'd call them piezo elements. I guess that's what they are. Uh, but they don't sound like those crummy piezo pickups of yesteryear that went under the saddle that sound awful. These are, um, uh, these go on the bridge plate and they're, that they sound great. And, uh, it's a very simple pickup. Just like you said, there's, the pickup and the jack. If you want, they do sell a volume control add-on so that you can add a volume control into your sound hole. And uh, I like that pickup a lot. That's a good one. If you want to go something a little more complex, um, I like the B-Band pickup. They're a, uh, I think they're in Sweden. I think they're a Swedish manufacturer. Uh, but B-Band sells all different kinds of models. They they do have some that have all the bells and doodads and notch filters and such, but um, their basic model is just a uh, an under-the-saddle pickup, but it's not, again, it's not that weird piezo, crummy under-the-saddle pickup of from the 80s. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a different technology. It's a little thin strip of Electret material. It sits right under your saddle, and uh, then there, there's a little discrete volume control in a in a jack but that that pickup takes a nine volt battery the k and k pickup is passive there's no battery if that if that helps you weigh in on on 
which pickup you'd rather. Um, those are the two main pickups that I usually go back and forth recommending. Sometimes one of them will not work in a guitar, so you've got to have a backup. Depending on the saddle, I mean, like like the adjustable bridge Gibsons we were just talking about, um, those guitars, you can't put a saddle pickup in there because the saddle is goofy. So you'd have to do the K&K bridge plate pickup. But that's great. The K&K is a great pickup. So they're both good. Um, I think if you really ha- if you really forced me to pick one, I think the B-Band is has a little... Well, it's active, so it's a little bit louder and has a little bit better tone is a, and is a little bit less prone to feedback. But the K&K is a great pickup, too. You just can't go wrong either way. So those, those are the two that I would that I would steer you towards. Jim, thanks for the question. I tell you what, let's take a break. Um, we, you know, we should we should perhaps do some commercials here. We do have sponsors, right? Yeah. Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though. We still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps. I don't only repair guitars, right? I also build guitars, and they're called Pinup Custom Guitars. You can check them out online at pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, customguitars.com. And uh, I've been putting off making a commercial for so long because it's just, it's, I don't know. It, what good would it be for me to tell you about them? Because obviously I think they're great. I make them. Obviously, I think they're the best. I make them. So I decided what I would do would be uh, to put out the call uh, for some owners of some of my guitars to uh, tell you what they think. And uh, so that's what I've done. So I'll, I'll, I'll let some of the owners of my guitars tell you about them. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the, the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument. Very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. Well, there you have it. And if you've been wondering what my guitars sound like, you've been listening to them all along. Uh, that last song was, was uh, Darren Jones. Jones and Fisher using his pinup, and all the other music is me using my guitars. And uh, I just, you know... the 
these guitars are what I call vintage-style recreations of famous 50s guitars. I don't make Telecasters. I don't make Stratocasters. Only Fender makes those. These are tributes to those guitars. And uh, Telecaster, Stratocaster, those are registered trademarks, obviously, of the Fender Music Instrument Corporation. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. MelcoLeather.com. Right? Right. Uh, As I make guitars, you know, we share a shop in the backyard there. As I'm making guitars, she's sitting in the other corner making straps, and I see her make these straps she's so meticulous and so gifted and thanks you're such a craftsman craftswoman you're such a crafty person (laughs) you're so crafty (laughs) uh really high quality leather handmade leather guitar straps check them out melcoleather.com There, now that wasn't so bad, was it? The commercials, I mean. Felt good. Those are good commercials. I mean, you should buy all those things, whatever they were. Uh, yeah, let's uh, continue right along. Eric, I found the Fret Files through the Fretboard Journal podcast. Your show is great, and Melissa is an awesome wife for co-hosting every month. She is. I know. My question is about the acoustic guitar is about acoustic guitar break angle at the headstock. <clears throat> Paddle head versus slotted. I play mostly classical guitar on a great luthier built guitar, but I also have a nice Huss and Dalton steel string with a paddle head. I've always wondered how much a difference a slot headstock, a slotted headstock makes on a steel string. My second question is about modern innovations on acoustic instruments. Offset sound holes, Kasha, Kasha, style bracing, double tops, torification, sound ports, etc. Does making a guitar more responsive, louder, sometimes rob some of the sweetness of tone? Acoustic classical guitars are not very efficient in terms of energy in versus volume out. But is that a part of the charm of a guitar? That balance of tone and volume that's limited by traditional building? Have you built any acoustic instruments? Matt in Chicago, Illinois. Thanks, Matt in Chicago. Uh, uh, as far as uh, paddle head versus slot head, slotted headstock, yeah, so it's, so, so the string break going across the nut is obviously more a more extreme angle on slotted headstocks and that angle the sharper angle uh gives the strings a little more tension i don't know how to describe this really but uh it does give the strings a little more tension and the theory is that it will um translate into a little bit stiffer feeling guitar and also a uh a little more sustain i don't know how to really if that's the right word for it but um all of your questions here and this this is not a critique of you i'm just this is just my gut feeling here um a lot of these things are really subjective you know does does making a guitar more responsive and louder rob some of the sweetness of tone well uh, these are kind of subjective things and and um that's the beauty of guitar making with some of the modern 
variations in bracing that they're doing, the torification, the, the weird sound holes that people do, um, all the different uh, experiments that, that, that modern acoustic guitar instrument makers have been experimenting with. It's just wide open, you know? It's just wide open, and you can try all kinds of things, and you can fall in love with something that you might not have uh, considered. But if you're like me, and this is just how I am, I'm just I'm just kind of an old-school guy, I would just prefer the sound hole to be in the middle, <laughs> right? And uh, a traditional X-braced guitar. That Those guitars just sound right to me. So, you know, all this, all this, uh, talk about, um, you know, does, uh, does this affect that and does that affect this and what's, what sounds more sweet and what sounds better and different and it's all subjective. It really is. It really is subjective, you know, because I can tell you what I like, right? But that's not necessarily going to be what you like. You know, and and I think that people's, um, I think that people's opinions are 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 colored uh, by their um, uh, their ideas about some of these things. You know, you learn about a, a different style of bracing, and then you go, "Oh, I gotta try one of those guitars. It's supposed to sound this way." So you go try it out, and your mind is already expecting it to sound a certain way. Um, there's just so much um it's just so subjective that's all i'm trying to say does that make sense to you yeah i mean totally these are just hard questions to answer because really there's no there's like there's no right or wrong answer like i'm not going to sit here and say well um this is the way to do this is the way to do it this is the way to make a guitar and to and to answer your final question really i haven't built any acoustic instruments you know so it's it's not really my wheelhouse anyway, but I love acoustic instruments, and I've repaired about 500 million of them. That's a lot. God, it never stops. <laughs> it never stops. By the way, if you people would quit breaking your guitars just for like a day, just for a day, just give me one day, just a day <laughs> off. <sighs> Thanks, Matt. I appreciate the question. I just have some general questions regarding bone nuts. What exact type of effect would it have on tone and feel? I've been told that the vintage crowd likes them, but I haven't been told exactly why. The guitar in question is a modern Gibson SG standard. It is. It has some issues staying in tune with the G-string. I've also been told that the factory nuts on the Gibsons have cut issues that can lead to this. More information on if this can be resolved with adjustments on the factory nut versus going with a new one would be greatly appreciated. Thanks in advance, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. You know, um, let's see. He says, what what type of effect would it have on tone and feel, a bone nut? Uh, and the effect on feel is, is nil. It's only, the effect on feel is only improved if your current nut is cut improperly. So it's, yeah, I mean, most most modern Gibsons are, you know, from the factory they leave the nut slots just slightly high, right, in my opinion. And uh, it results in a, a little bit stiffer action in the lower register down there by the nut. So a properly, a properly cut nut will have a lower action, right, closer to the nut. But as far as tone goes, there's a, there is a difference. Bone versus plastic. Bone transfers the vibration better through through the neck, right, to add to the natural resonance of the guitar. Uh, bone is more dense than plastic, so it transfers string vibration to the guitar, you know, rather than muffling it like plastic tends to do. Plastic is softer, right? So it, it in a softer material, it will actually absorb string energy rather than, rather than deflect it back into the guitar. So uh, that means bone will have more clarity, more fullness, more sustain. It's, you know, it's subtle. I mean, I just got done saying that everything is a little bit subjective, and it is. 
but um, it, it is a real improvement. I definitely, I mean, you know, you think about it, you, you don't want plastic parts on your, on your, on your really nice $2,000 guitar, or at least I don't. So a bone nut will, it'll last longer anyway, because the strings are less prone to cut through it over time, because plastic is softer. So, you know, and a, a handmade, custom-shaped, polished bone nut, it really, it looks a lot better than the plastic ones, too, in my opinion. Now, thanks for the question. Hi, Eric and Melissa. Melissa, do you do custom widths on your straps? I'm a bass player and love a good wide strap for stability and support. Uh, yes, I do, but, uh, with a caveat, I've done up to four inches before and it's just way too wide. They just cut into your neck and your shoulder. So, uh, I, I, I'll only go up to about three and a half inches wide Hmm. and that's, that's still pretty wide. What about three and three quarters? No. All right. You heard it here first. Three and a half. Three and a half max. I'm laying down the law. Uh, Eric, do you do compound radiuses or keep to the classic seven and a quarter or 9.5 radius? And secondly, what trem system do you recommend to most people? Thanks for all your work, you two. Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Uh, most of my guitars have a, the seven and a quarter inch radius on the fingerboard. Um, although I do occasionally make a guitar with a a nine and a half or a ten inch radius. It's it's true. And he asks, "What trem system do you recommend the most to people?" Well, it really depends on the guitar. But we have a similar question next. Okay, Mark from Baku, Azerbaijan. What what is it? Azer- Azer- Azerbaijan. 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 Sorry, uh, sorry, Mark. Wherever you're from, Mark, thank you for sending us this question. On balance... What, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan? Mark from Baku in Azerbaijan. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best vibrato system for guitars, in your opinion? Please leave your jazz master bias at the door. Ha ha. Yeah, indeed. The best vibrato for your guitar... Is, is your index finger. Right? Yeah. Uh, I'm just kidding. Um, well, well, you know, I mean, you see those... You, you, you ever seen B.B. King play? B.B. King has the best vibrato ever. Right? And it's not done with a wang bar. It's done with his, with his left hand, with his fretting hand. Yeah, well, but th- these people th- want know, an answer to their I question. Know. Oh, right. My sweet husband. Make me work on my night off. Uh, it depends on the guitar. It really does. Um, you wouldn't want to use a, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Jazzmaster vibratos. Uh, you, you wouldn't want to put that on a Strat. It wouldn't make any sense. Uh, so I'm not sure really wh- how to answer that. A Strat tremolo, I like. I like Strat bridges. I like this. I like the tremolo system. That's probably my favorite. But that doesn't work if you have an SG, you know. So I just it just depends on the guitar. Um, Jazzmaster trems can be they can be set up to work okay. They really can, uh, but. They weren't made to dive bomb like a, like a, like a Floyd Rose or something like that. So you can, they're kind of a subtle thing. You really have to be gentle with them and if you want to stay in tune. Same thing with Bigsby's. If you start, if you start yanking on that thing, you're going to have, you're going to have tuning problems that Neil Young would balk at. Anyhow, neither here nor there. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the best tremolo, it really depends on your guitar. So, um, I, I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not a huge, huge fan of, uh, any of them, frankly. Honestly. But they can all be made to behave. The trick really is to set them up properly, to know their limitations, and to use a little bit of graphite in your nut slots to keep the strings moving freely through the nut. That's going to save you a lot of heartache. 
That's really the trick. There you go. Yeah. Hello, Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast. I have listened to everything available on iTunes. Oh, by the way, yeah, I had somebody else. Uh, oh, I guess it's on the next question. Um, I don't know if all the episodes are up there. Really, the best way to listen, if you wanna, if you wanna check out old episodes, go to fretfiles.com. That will give you the full archives. I have no idea what's on iTunes. I really don't know how all this works. I just i I do the show and I email it to the guy who puts it on the internet for me. I just I don't know anything about it. So um, that's great if you listen to iTunes. If you listen on iTunes, but there might be more episodes if you go to fretfiles.com. I know that you have a great distaste for current Gibsons based on some of your more passionate diatribes in recent episodes. And while I don't share your fervor, I'm not into the electronic boards that currently inhabit my Les Paul. This is based solely on reasons of soul rather than true tonal misgivings of the guitar. I'm so sorry, you guys. I, I don't hate Gibson. You should buy a Gibson. They're great. How do you feel about some of the burst wiring kits available for replacement of the quick current quick connection systems in these guitars? I love the basic features of my Les Paul. It is the most resonant guitar I've ever played. It felt like the moment Harry Potter first picked up his wand and when I strummed it for the first time. Eric won't get that reference, but I do. Who's Happy Potter? But I worry that swapping out some items like the nut and the electronics might change the way the guitar feels. Should I keep the guitar the way it is or chase some of the more vintage upgrades out there? How much change is too much change to a guitar? Thanks. Hope the new baby is happy and healthy. Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. You know, those wiring kits are, are cool. Here's my problem. They're, I think that they're overpriced because you're really um, you're paying for the labor of someone putting them together where if you just buy the parts and do it yourself, it, they're, it's so cheap to do pots and caps are cheap. You can get good quality CTS pots for five bucks. You can get good quality caps for, well, we've talked about caps before. You, you shouldn't be paying more than a dollar or two for a capacitor. So we're talking about maybe 20, 25 bucks here, right? Um, and then wire it yourself. I guess the only reason to go with one of the pre-wired uh, kits, I don't know if that's what he's talking about or not, but I see, I just see them all the time, and people, people actually bring them to me all the time. They'll bring me their guitar and then a pre-wired kit. And say, install this? Yeah, it's like, well... Maybe they you don't know have that, a soldering iron. You know that I wire... You, you know, I could have done this for you, right? I have all the parts. Anyway, there's nothing magic about those guys, uh, the pots they're selling. They're just, they're CTS pots. The same CTS pots that you can get from all parts or f through Stuart McDonald or on eBay or anywhere. Um, CTS pot is a CTS pot is a CTS pot. I know some of those guys claim that they have a special deal with CTS where they have a they have a pot specifically made for them, and it has a really specific taper, and it has a their, you know, a tighter tolerance, and all this. You're not going to notice any of that crap. Just just get a normal CTS pot. That's my recommendation. Um, and then uh, you know you can wire it yourself if you want a project. If you don't want to wire it yourself, yeah, you could get one of the pre-wired ones. But I totally agree with you. Those the circuit boards are soulless. I just it bothers, you know, it does, it really doesn't affect the tone because electrons don't care what their circuit path is. Um, but it just is sad to see a circuit board in there and to add insult to injury on a lot of those Gibsons, they make, they made, th they made the, the back panel, um, slightly transparent. It's like a smoky plastic that you can see through so that you can see the circuit board, like, like you're proud what are of they it? doing? What are they doing down there? Uh, yeah, so, um, I, you know, upgrading the electronics, however you want to do it, is a good idea, I think. Um, did, did, didn't he uh, ask another question here? Was it about the nut or something? 
I guess I'm. How much change is too much change? Oh, how much is you? Well, that's up to you. I, you know, like I said, um, and then, you know, here's the other rabbit hole you can go down. Once you get your pots and your caps, there's a bunch of different ways to wire it. You can wire it 50s style, or you can wire it, um, you know, modern. You can wire it so that the so that the volume pots work independently of each other, or you can work it so that you can wire it so that uh, when your switch is in the middle position, either one of your volume controls becomes a master volume, just like the originals always do. I don't know. There's num- There's so many different ways you can go, but get that circuit board out of there. That's my that's my opinion, and I'm sure Harry Potter would have done the same thing. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I happily discovered your podcast a few weeks ago and have just finished marathoning the back catalog. Well, at least the episodes that were available to download through the App Store. What App Store? It's where you get your appetizers. Yeah. No, but I mean, does do you know what that is? Seriously, it's, I'm uh, it's a Mac thing. It's the Apple Apple App Store. Yeah, the iTunes. I think I should learn about this. You know, I host a podcast. <laughs> I mean, really, uh, derpy. so he's insinuating that not all the episodes are there. Again, if you go to fretfiles.com, they're all the, all 23, I think this is episode 23, all 23, all of the 20 some odd episodes will be there. Uh, first, I recently purchased a 1960s Goya Panther and wonder what type of pickups these are. They're single coil and housed in metal covers. Do you know what company manufactured these pickups? Second, the controls for these pickups are the old push-button switches. They seem now to be a bit worn out and wondered if you could suggest a replacement or some fix to make the buttons work more reliably. Hope you can help. Keep up the great work. Best to you, Melissa, and the baby. Michael. Thanks, Michael, and thanks for the question. Um, those Goya Panthers are cool. That's a, you know, Goya is an interesting company. Um, (laughs) this, this gets crazy. Okay. That guitar is made in Japan, but Goya is the American distributor name for Swedish guitars The and the company is named Levin or Levin. I think it's Levin. And uh, it really gets it really gets convoluted because Goya changed hands a whole bunch of times. It was owned by Martin. It was owned by Custom, you know, Custom with a K, the amplifier company. It changed hands a bunch of times, and they would have um, they they were mostly Goya was mostly known for uh, like nylon stringed folk guitars in the sixties, but they did make electric guitars, and they I I'm pretty sure, you know, maybe I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that that is a Japanese guitar and they were um, just outsourced from one of the Japanese factories. And so it was either made in the Fujigen factory, the Matsumoku factory, or the Taisko factory in Japan. And whoever made that guitar made the pickups. It's, it's, it's not like they, you know, bought pickups from a pickup manufacturer those were all made in-house at, at whatever Japanese um, you know factory that those were made at so uh, that's a pretty complex answer uh, to your question but he says did I answer it he says uh, he purchased a 60s Goya Panther and wonders what kind of pickups they are they are single coil and housed in metal covers yeah they um, they're just Whoever made the guitar made the pickups, and it was made in Japan, so it's one of those crazy, like, Taisko or Fujigen. Secondly, the controls for these pickups are the old push-button switches. Oh, man, those are such a pain in the neck. They really wear out, and they're hard to, they're hard to, uh, to work on. Um, there's really no replacement for those, but if you very carefully open up uh, the pit guard and take a look in there. Sometimes, you know, those are totally mechanical. They work on rockers and they have these little, um, metal clasps that grab the switch as you rock it back and forth. 
And you can get in there and clean those and adjust them so that they work better, but it's really not for the faint of heart. It's kind of a it's it's really kind of a pain in the neck to to work on those. But if you get some contact cleaner and spray those contacts and adjust those metal clasps so that they grab the switch when you when you rock it back and forth, uh, you should be able to uh, at least get it to work. Hopefully, I've seen many of those guitars, many of those old Japanese guitars that have those rocker switches, where people have just bypassed all that and put in like a like a three way toggle switch. I see that all the time. Makes sense. Yeah. Michael, thanks for the question. That wraps it up. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. You know, we couldn't do this show without your participation, and I really appreciate everybody's participation. Again, if you want to participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. Or you can call the show 757-774-8482. That's 757-774-8482. A big thanks to my wife, Melissa, for co-hosting. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com, who somehow, through the magic of the Internet, posts these episodes... Again, I don't know how it works. Maybe I should figure it out, right? Yeah, it's somewhere in the realm of the unicorns. and Yeah, we just... I have no idea. It's magic. And uh, big thanks to Emerald City Guitars for sponsoring this podcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next month. 